Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, and I've got a returning guest host, Josh Crook, with us. Hello. And we've got a new guest host, Alan Udy. Hello. And then our guest of honor here, we're excited to interview her. It's been several months uh, coming, but we have Clea May with us. Hi. Thanks for coming on, Clea. We are enjoying, by the way, your dog Nugget right now, who's sitting with Alan Udy, behaving themselves. <laughs> what kind of dog is Nugget? Da- he is a cockapoo, cocker spaniel, and a teacup poodle daddy. He's got all kinds of energy, right? My kids love Nugget, by the way. And he is my um, my lifesaver. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you had Nugget for? Nugget is now um, about 15 months old. I got him when he was three months old. And he is as big as he's ever going to be. He's about six and a half pounds. And he loves everybody. That's for sure. Oh yeah, He's I see. Like I see pounds. Alan trying to. Yeah, <laughs> he won't stop licking me. Yep. No, he he wants to lick you right now. I can tell. And then you have you have two cats. Is that right? I or? have one cat. I okay. recently had a cat that had a stroke. She was fifteen years old. So we have a little Misty and nugget and they love to chase each other all around the house nice and i i feel like correct me if i'm wrong on this but i feel like there was a story to getting nugget or there was i had had a small cockapoo when my kids were little and clea remembered that she's living in pleasantville um utah and she called and says mom i have a cockapoo for you i said oh you do she says yes He's just ready to leave his mother, and if you want him, he's yours. So I said, yes, and she put him on an airplane and flew him from Utah here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. awesome. What would Reagan do right now if, if you just showed up with a dog, Josh? So it's it's been the other way around. She showed up with cats, yeah. and uh, that cat was given away fairly quickly um uh when we when we when we first met she had four cats they were one by one gotten rid of by me and two two good two good homes and then um we moved here and she tried to get another cat and kittens and new babies don't really mesh very well and so that cat was it was either the kid or the cat and uh, unfortunately we kept the kid <laughs> <laughs> So now we have three well, kids and no cats. Might not have been the best financial decision, but <laughs> yeah, no kids. Kid, kids are better, but uh, an, animals one day. I think they're a good thing for for families. Yes. Oh, so. totally, totally. Especially if you get a dog like Nugget, which yep. is hard because Nugget's one of a kind. I feel like. Well, he, the thing about Nugget is, no matter where I go, Nugget is there. He follows me everywhere. And if I leave, he sits on the back of my couch, watches out the window. Even if I give him a chewy, an hour later, I will come home. He's still sitting there. The chewy's still sitting here. The minute he sees me and greets me, then he'll eat his chewy. (laughs) (laughs) He's waiting for you. That's nice. That's awesome. 
Cool. Well, well, Clea, I know that you've listened to a, at least a couple episodes of the podcast I we've have. been doing. Yeah. And what we usually start the episode with is an introduction similar to what you might do if you're moving into a new ward, something like that. Just tell us a little bit about Clea May, who you are, um, where you come from. Well, Clea May was Clea of late Westover. My father and Lorne Westover were brothers. I was born in Riverside, California, 1938, just before World War II. And when the war started, we moved to Vallejo, California, where Dad worked at Mare Island, the naval base, repairing the ships and the submarines. And then we moved into business with Uncle Lorne and Aunt B on farms. So from the time I was about three, four years old, we lived on a farm, we had restaurant, we supplied the meat for the restaurant, we supplied the milk for the restaurant, Uncle Lorne made the pies, Dad made the ice cream, and that was in Milford, Utah. We moved to Baker, Oregon from there to a great big ranch where we had, it had to have been at least an acre-size garden. We always canned our own foods. We had our own milk. We had our own beef. We had our orchard, and we had a huge underground storage place for the canned food. Everything that we grew, we saved it. We um, had another huge farm in uh, Baker, Oregon. And in Baker, Oregon, I had just turned nine years old. And the family that we met when we first went to church, she was the um, gospel doctrine teacher, Jean May. She had lost her husband. She had two sons. And her second son was born about five weeks after her husband died of pneumonia. Oh, man. And that second son was my husband, John May, who was Jackie at that time, or Jack. <laughs> so I always knew him as Jack. Hmm. And uh, we went, uh, yes, 14 years. We went from Baker to Springfield. Out in Polka, out in Marcola, had a large ranch out there, and uh, later they split up, and we went back to Riverside. But that's how I started. I was here for the original branch, the first branch that we had. Met over the liquor. <laughs> what do you want to call it? Yeah. The local go get your drink place that I mean, stunk the liquor whole place store, out. I guess. Yeah, smoke oh, shop. It was it was a, it was <laughs> yeah. above it, and literally you would have to go in before you could have church services, and the women swept the floors of all the cigarette butts, got rid of all the spittoons, set up the chairs so that we could have our church service. Later, we met in a hall just down the block above the bakery. Oh, way better. That smelled so good. <laughs> oh, fast Sundays must have been rough. <laughs> <laughs> Better bakery than than liquor store. That's such a 
Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd take the bakery. And that was the time before dams. So uh, our farm was out there, uh-huh. and we would, every river would flood, and we had a Jeep, and it was the only car that could make it into town, and the water would come up over the floorboards into the Jeep. Oh. And so just the parents would come in. Our home was built on a high spot, so it was surrounded by water, but it never reached up to the home. <laughs> Man. I'm, and, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just like, I'm focusing on the restaurant back in Utah, and I'm just thinking, how good were those pies? Oh, they were <laughs> delicious. Oh, my gosh. We had the troop trains. This is World War Two, and Milford, Utah, the main line of the railroad came through, stopped for an hour in Milford, and the troops would climb off of that train and come over. We had a huge, it was called the L&B Restaurant, and it would just pack. And it was always packed, though, even without the troop trains. But like I say, they worked so hard because you milk twice a day. Mm-hmm. You prepare the milk, you come in and you make the pies and you make the ice cream. And then they were mom and Aunt B and others were the waitresses and Uncle Lorne and dad were the cooks. But it was, oh, all I can remember is it was delicious. And this oh, yeah. was a town where Clea had roller skates, and <laughs> I knew every sidewalk in that whole town. <laughs> and that was the first town where I ever gave a talk. I was about, uh, let's see, Milford. I must have been kindergarten, first grade, and we used to give a little, little short saying just before we did the sacrament. And they had asked me to do it, and it was in front of the whole ward. It was the first time, and I was so excited. So the minute we'd had uh, the opening song and a prayer, I jumped up and started to say it, and the bishop gently came up and took me by the shoulders. Not yet, Cleo will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But did did you get to say it? I got I, to say you it. You still got to say it. I got to say yeah. it. But that was my first experience of talking in front of a large group. And throughout my life, we used to have speech contests and mutual. And we would have drama. We would have all of these different things to where I was not afraid to stand in front of somebody and talk. That uh, that's a good me skill throughout my lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'll tell you what, most people these days don't know how to talk to anybody. So, <laughs> right. being especially especially not being scared. Yeah. My my poor Donovan, he still won't go up there and sing with the rest of their primary. So maybe he needs to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> she would be a good person to talk to, probably. <laughs> But uh, after after being in Springfield and living out in the Mohawk area, we went back to Riverside where I had been born. And uh, 
that summer, we stopped back in Baker to talk, visit with Jean May and her sons. Mom and dad were very close friends with the family. And my husband, to be, asked me, he said, he had just graduated high school. I just graduated eighth grade. He says, can we correspond? <sighs> well, this eighth grade brain uh, just... Uh, what? What do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> Can we write letters? So for the next, actually, almost six years, we wrote letters um, through a couple of years of college. I guess it was about four. He went to college. He went two years on his mission. Um, and we continued writing back and forth to one another. And I actually got a proposal in a letter. Oh, man. <laughs> he had been to our house for a week before he'd gone on his mission um, and spent some time. But we had known each other so well when we were younger. Mm -hmm. I got my first proposal at a mutual party in our – we had a big backyard like Brother and Sister Birdsall's that was beautiful in Baker, Oregon. And so we'd have everybody out for – church parties, mutual parties, and the kids were all just having a ball. I was too young to be a mutual, but I was at the screen window on our back porch watching, wishing, you know, and he came <laughs> running over. He had all his friends with him, and he came running over, and he knelt down, and he says, Clea, will you marry me? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and just everybody cracking up, you know. They were just having fun. <laughs> but that was my first proposal from my husband. <laughs> first of many? <laughs> first of, yeah. <laughs> so did you... You said no? <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. No, I ran. I was embarrassed. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> the first time, he was just practicing. Yeah. So was this, while you guys were writing letters back and forth, was that the only correspondence you had or was this did you did you like him was it just a him only liking you like how how no, was that dynamic um somehow some way even at when i was nine and he was 13 mm -hmm. there was a connection i can't explain it it was like i had always known him mm. and he had when he first met me he wanted to know what that little girl's name was, and he saw me put my lunchbox down as I was going into primary, so he had to go look and see what the name was on the lunchbox. Oh, smart kid. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was, um, he had a Whizzer motorbike, one of the very first. He worked with uh, Glenn May, who had a bicycle shop in Baker, and that's where he worked, and so he was able to put a motor on his bike, and he would come from town. He was good friends with Uncle Orn and Aunt B's oldest son, Donald, and he'd come out and on his Whizzer motorbike and give us kids rides, and I used to get a lot of rides on his Whizzer with him. Um, <laughs> but it was just, you know, it was a t totally different world where you weren't afraid 
of your kids, the age differences or anything. Everybody mm-hmm. was friends. Everybody was friends. Yeah. So you just you were friends from the very beginning all the way through. All and- the way through, and then like I say, after when I graduated from the eighth grade, we had come and met with his mom and stayed overnight and had a good visit. I'd gone out to a movie uh, with him and a friend of his. And that's when he asked me to write letters. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked and got to know each other again. And it was it was comfortable. How can yeah. I put it? No, oh, that's the yeah. probably the best way to put it. And then when he got off of his mission, there was a golden green ball, which, you know, the great dances that we used to have. This was a church dance? This was a church okay. dance called the golden green ball. I was living in Riverside, and he called my dad. He said, I would love, he'd just got off his mission. I was a senior, ready, you know, getting okay. close to graduation. Would your, would you let your daughter, I'll send $100 to buy a train ticket. Can you, no. That was the Ooh. first response from dad. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing that. So it took mom uh while and they prayed about it and he changed his mind and so i took a train trip from riverside to baker and his brother jim and his girlfriend had come who he later became my sister-in-law and with his mom and aunts and what have you and my formal and they decided it needed more top than what they felt it ought to have so i got a little sweater that they put on me and, <laughs> <laughs> and then he proposed again that that night was this the real one at the, at the ball <laughs> no no i'm getting ahead of myself okay. no this wasn't this was uh Yes, this was the real one. Yes, this was when I was graduating, and this was the real one. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. That's was, a good story. Yeah. We had, uh, after we got married, see, I had known him, I was 18 when we got married. I'd known him nine years already, and then we had 61 and a half years together before he passed. Wow. Wow. That's a yeah, yeah, a long time. That's awesome. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your husband? Yeah, because I I obviously didn't really get to know him. And my um, sweetheart, he wanted to be an eye doctor, an um, an ophthalmologist, uh, or thank you, yeah. an ophthalmologist. And he had he he would have been fantastic. And his mother was afraid that uh, if he went to the school here in Oregon that taught that that she'd lose him. So she gave him the ultimatum that she would not help him with school if he did that. If he went to the Y, she would help pay for it. And she said, "You can be a teacher." If we had stayed at the Y and he had gone ahead and got his master's and his PHA, he would have been the most fabulous professor 
for college students that there ever was because everything that he read and learned stayed right here. He had a knowledge of the gospel that was stupendous. But he did not because he did not have a father. It was very hard for Jack to um, identify with the younger children, and he became an eighth and ninth grade teacher. Mm. Oh, That's man. Tough. Not, That's tough. Yeah, well, wow, that is a tough age. Didn't work. I speak from experience. I was not very good at that I, age. I've so, got a yeah. kid that's that oh, age yeah. right now. <laughs> I mean, it's great, but it's When they get together, right. yeah. Yeah. Man. And we moved back here, and he went into real estate, and he got his real estate license, and he worked in real estate for a while. But to be honest, he had a nervous breakdown. And I think truly, as we look back, and the kids and I have talked, I think he had Asperger's because we've had it show up now in our grandkids, mm. um, autism and different things. And he truly got to the point where he wanted to hide away. And I didn't have enough brains to know what was happening. We switched our roles. He stayed home. He cooked, he took care of the kids, he did the washing, and because of a very wonderful, wonderful doctor, when we had moved back here in 73, he called me up um, early 74 and said, Clea, I want you to come and be my office nurse. No medical assistance back then. Mm. And literally uh, taught me everything that I knew, he says, I want you to draw my blood. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> he says, and he took an orange. And he, he said, now see, right here, this little ridge, you're going to go into that little ridge. And he showed me how and how it felt. And he said, you're going to draw my blood every hour for six hours so I can do a diabetic checkup. Wow. I did. And I got it. And I never forgot how to do it. <laughs> it was fantastic. So I was trained literally by the doctor. He taught me That's how really to cool. do. You don't see that. He taught me nope. how to do. He did not like trained nurses because they were too bossy. <laughs> <laughs> Has that changed, Bishop Keister? I mean, depends on the person. On I, the nurse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could get into a lot of trouble. Yeah, as I said, any <laughs> my wife is a medical assistant. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my husband, he, he would get the kids up early in the morning for the newspaper route. Um, he would make sure that they got to all the different things that they needed to go to. He was an absolute fabulous mechanic. He could take a car apart and put it back together again, and he taught me. I wasn't afraid to take a carburetor off. I wasn't afraid to change a tire and my sons have had that experience and john has rebuilt a beautiful 70 uh what the chevy that uh 
is so back in the early 60s. I'm just thinking like there's the Chevelle, there's the Camaro. Yeah. It's the Chevelle. Or the Camaro, I don't remember. Anyway, he he has <laughs> no. built it from scratch. And my son has built a little car from scratch because their father taught them how. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So cool. I'm I'm just random side tangent. I'll I'll try to limit these, but when you were talking about learning to inject or draw labs on an orange, this happened to me once. So I think most people know I'm a primary care doc, but I had one patient um, who did their diabetes education on an orange and they were actually taught how to inject their insulin on the orange. And, you know, long story short, you know, we see them three months after starting insulin and their numbers actually look worse. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, are you taking your insulin? And they're like, yeah, I'm injecting the orange every day, just like you told me to. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. He showed me on an orange, but he didn't give me the orange. He gave me his arm. Right. And he says, now feel for the same thing, Ridge, that you felt for, you know, after you put the strap around the arm. Well, you got got taught right. Yeah. Wow. It was like, my bad, my bad. (laughs) Show show by example. (laughs) So I actually worked with Dr. Baldwin. He was an older gentleman, and I started work on May 1st, 1974, and he was only there three months, and he sold his practice to a young Dr. Watt, who absolutely, I I can't explain that he and his family were Seventh-day Adventist, and they lived their religion. Every morning I would go into work, we would have a prayer. This was Aunt B, B. Westover, myself, and Dr. Watt, and then we would read a chapter of the Bible. A whole chapter? A whole chapter Ooh. of the Bible. And during the seven years that I worked for him, that's how we started every morning. Every morning. I got to read the Old Testament working that seven years. And he uh, he was a man that taught me how to help him with surgeries. Um, I went to school uh, for phlebotomy. I went to school for x-rays. I mean, I learned so much. And by the time that he had decided he was going to go back to school, change his practice from family practice to gynecology, um, he would, I'd set him up for a procedure. I'd walk out and I'd be in my little lab and I'd think, oh, I bet you he's going to need, and I'd grab an instrument, run for the door, and as he opened the door, I'd hand it to him. That was how close we got to where we meshed and worked together. It was wonderful. Especially in that kind of profession, I'm sure that was probably super important. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that the couple of times we've been over to talk, um, that 
being a medical assistant is something that you're proud of in the in the family practice and it's meant a lot in your life. I'm curious are what else made that such an important thing for you? What what made it so impactful? The church had a lot to do with it. When you grow up in the church, you grow up understanding what empathy, what kindness, uh, what being able to relate with a person means. So when my, and I call them my patients, when they would come in, I would identify with them completely. Um, I wasn't afraid if, if there were tears to put my arms around and, and to give just a hug or a kind word. Um, I met many, many people that I have seen over the years that still I don't look like I used to look, but some still recognize me and I still get the big hugs, you know. I met a young gal um, the last year that I worked. Obama had decided that state licenses for medical assistance, even if you were grandfathered into it, was not enough. You had to be federally licensed. Mm -hmm. So from the 1st of January through the end of March, I would go three nights a week. I'd work all day, go three nights a week to two-hour classes, and I had gotten sick in October 2017, and I it never stopped, and I couldn't understand what was going on. I took my test and passed with a 92 or something <laughs> in, uh, in May or the end of April. It was the end of April, and it was only about a week later. I went to my manager and I said, I can't breathe. I have to go home. Uh, my doctor came out and he says, you go directly to the hospital. And that's when I found out I had leukemia. Mm -hmm. And it was to the day, May 1st, to the day, 40 years. Huh. Wow. Yeah, absolutely, to the day. And I never in, in my life, I wanted to go back. I loved it. I loved the people. I had one young gal I had met at, in those classes that came up, and she says, do you remember me? I'm Debbie. And I said, oh, I do. She says, well, I want you to know that I am a medical assistant because of you. Mm. She said, you exemplified to me what a medical assistant should be, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I had given all of her kids <laughs> their shots. Oh, there you go. That's and... The kids remember you for that. <laughs> yeah. She gave all of the, uh, my children their shots. <laughs> Love, you might love her or hate her after that, huh? <laughs> love her, love her, good. That yeah. means you're. That means you're. You were good at doing the shots. Yeah, all of us. Um, I I wanted to know. Uh, this isn't something we talked about before the show, but 
as a medical assistant, what do you feel like your role is in helping people to heal? Because we do see a lot of people in primary care who are worried, who are sick, who um, maybe are dealing with mental health issues. What What's the role of the medical assistant in helping them? Well, let's put it this way. I had two instances where you get as involved as the doctor does. You feel for the patient. You wonder about uh, how are they doing at home? Um, are they really taking, you know, the things you need? And literally two times um, I had a man come in at noon. Uh, doctor wasn't there. He said, I just, I can't breathe very good. And I took him into a room, and I laid him down on the bed. He says, well, I ought to just go home. I says, no, you're not going to go anywhere. I said, I think you're having a heart attack. Mm. And I called an ambulance, and he was Oof. in the middle of a heart attack. You have to know the people and understand them. Uh, I had another young man come in, and he'd fallen off of a bike, hit his abdomen area hard on the handlebars, and Dr. Levy had checked him over and said, well, I think you're lucky, and he was going home. And as he got to the door, he kind of stumbled, and I pulled him back and I said, no, you're not going, and took him back in. His spleen mm -hmm. had ruptured and he was bleeding inside. That's significant. So <laughs> as a medical assistant, yeah, I was I felt as involved and as close and wanting to help in any way that I could. Yeah. And I I think that goes back to the principle of love that you're talking about and and working and serving in the Savior's way. And for me, that's been a big learning for years working in the same profession. Um, just, you know, in, in family practice, just learning not to silo off the different parts of my life, learning to live fully the gospel everywhere I go. Um, and I will say, uh, not everybody understands fully what a medical assistant does, but being married to one and uh, working eight hours a day or more with one, um, I've gained greater appreciation for it. I think that, first of all, if you're mad and upset, take it out on the doctor. That would be my advice. <laughs> don't take it out on the medical assistant because that medical assistant probably showed up an hour or two before the doctor, depending on the day, yeah. and might be staying an hour or two later than the doctor. Um, they've spent time preparing yeah, the charts. You're in your head, you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> preparing the charts, getting to know the patients and i think that they play and and you played clea is is important a role in a lot of ways as the doctor because this is personal opinion jason keister speaking but i i think as medical professionals sometimes the medicine alone whether it be pharmaceutical surgical whatever intervention it's, it's only a small part in the healing a lot of the time. A lot of it is it's love, it's knowing the person, and showing them that they are seen and somebody cares about them. And one of the greatest things, too, is listening. Yep. And understanding where your patient is coming from. 
that was that was a big deal too. That's that's a huge yeah. thing, and it's something I learned from you too. Is is that it's not just identifying what symptoms a patient is dealing with; it's knowing who that person is and being able to identify when things are not the norm for them when when something has changed. And I I think just like that example with the patient with the ruptured spleen, you knew this isn't the same as I've seen you before. Exactly. You could tell. And then for many years, um, they started an urgent care when the urgent cares were first starting in um, on River Road, right across the street from Fred Meyer, there is a doctor's office. And all of the doctors over in that Eugene area started a urgent care, and I was called and asked if I would like to be part of it. So I would go to work in the morning, seven thirty, eight o'clock. I would work until 5 o'clock. I would go home and grab a bite to eat, and I'd jump in the car and be back over to that clinic at 6 o'clock, and I would work until at least 11 o'clock every night and sometimes on Saturday and Sunday. And I started as they started, and I think I gave my... uh, I told them it was time for me to quit just about a month before they closed the clinic. (laughs) So I knew so many doctors, both sides of the river, and I actually was called in to fill in on my day off for any of the nurses that were absent because they already knew me. Mm. It, it was the most fantastic 40 years of my life. And I am so grateful because it helped get us through when Jack couldn't. He just, he couldn't. And I never wanted people to look at him and say, well, you're not taking care of your family. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Health-wise, he couldn't. He just couldn't. But he was the best father. He could teach a lesson, and you could ask him any gospel question, and he'd tell you right where to go, where to find it, explain it to you so it meant so much. He was, he had this marvelous brain that just held on to everything. If I knew even a minute amount of the gospel that he did, I would be so grateful. <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like he was doing his part. He you, was. You, I think you found your, your, your I mission found in my life. Niche. And he, I, de- I mean, you might've been, you know, pointed in that direction, but I definitely think that you found it. And I think he found his. Yeah. I never, I never met him, but it sounds like he was do. He did a great job on, on, on that end. Um, I feel like if he knew that much, he de- of all the knowledge he had, he definitely, yeah. definitely uh, passed it on. I think that was important. It's, it's hard for me to find time um, to teach my kids about stuff because I'm working all the time. Right. And so I think it's, I think it's really important and significant that he was able to do that. I had gotten so. the kids had. When they were old enough, you know, and get a car and he'd go out and say, okay, this is what has to happen. This is what has to happen. This is what has to happen. Okay, let me see you do it. 
<laughs> That's or, the best or, way to teach. you know, get down and help a little bit. Yeah. So that literally um, they they knew a motor inside and out by the time they were done and what to do with a vehicle and how to take care of things. And it that, that was good. We never lived fancy. Never. We moved probably every two to three years. The first part of our marriage, uh, while he was teaching, because he just could not get in and identify with eighth mm. graders. Eighth graders are great ones to talk back. They're hard <laughs> to handle. <laughs> Eighth graders Agreed. don't even identify. <laughs> Eighth graders don't Testosterone even Testosterone and what have yeah. you are just right. And so we did a lot of moving. We would buy a lot, and we would we had a little trailer, and we'd put a nice big porch on the front of it, deciding that we would be building a home. But it never lasted long enough. So my kids really grew up just kind of roaming the countryside, do, fishing, having fun with their friends. They could bring them all over to our property. We had streams, you know, that went through the property um, until we finally moved here. And what we did when we moved here, we had bought a large trailer and we transported it from California to this piece of property back in 1973. And by the time my husband got sick in 2017, uh, the trailer was pretty well gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, by that time, he could not understand Um and it it was his home. So he spent until he went into the rest home for ten, his last 10 months of life. And I and my sister had inherited a home that my father had. And he passed away about that time, which we sold. And that old trailer, we had to prove it was unlivable. Ooh. And it was. It was falling apart. So we got a letter and proved it, and I just had them come in after <laughs> selling Dad's home, and we just cleared this piece of land off and put this manufactured home on it. And this month, I have lived here 50 years. On this property? On this property. Oh, on my gosh. This corner. I we're, know. We're here for an anniversary. That's cool. I've seen uh, grandma used to live there. Now the son and wife live there. Now the kids all have kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. That is that is awesome. Now, this is a great home you have here, too. I love my home. Falling it's down your stairs right a couple me. times. Pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, it was yes. icy last time we came over. I fell down. <laughs> I had to call out of work two days ago, by the way. Sidebar a little bit. I fell down the stairs. <laughs> Can't you just fix yourself? Aren't you a doctor? Uh, oddly enough, no. Or I guess I'm, you know, you family a, practice. Do you need a medical so assistant to help you out with that? <laughs> I, I did the one at my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was an embarrassing phone call but well guys um let's start going around the room here so josh i know you had a few things you wanted to talk with clea about too yeah i want to know about the i was going to change it but i'm going to stick with it you had mentioned that you did two stake missions what what were those we did um and you have to realize that during this time, um, I was working quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, Brother Bruce Jones, who is in our ward now, yes. was the high councilman. And we were called to Blue River. And um, were you living? For, were you was, living here in Springfield during this time? We lived okay. right here, right here? Okay, on this yeah. corner. And um, we were called to go up and to help the Blue River Ward. Um, I don't remember if Jack was teaching uh, gospel doctrine. I I can't remember what he was doing. Um, I got in at that time. I think I had already had a year or two because Bishop Wilhite had asked me out of the blue to be... uh, music director and chorister for the ward. And the only reason I accepted was because I had had violin <clears throat> and had or- had orchestra for several years. Otherwise, this monotone voice of mine <laughs> would never have learned how to carry a tune. <laughs> and so I did the music and was in the primary we were up there for three and a half, almost four years, because they asked us to extend it. Mm. And then we met uh, Bill and Lorna Pope, and they got started mm. on square dancing and round dancing. Wow. And we joined the wagon wheel. I'm going to ask Lorna about that today or on this Sunday. <laughs> we, yeah. we joined the wagon wheelers, and for the next few years, we danced every night that we could go dancing. We did square dancing. We did round dancing. We had the most fantastic group of people, and we had so much fun. I had so many square dance dresses and great big fluffy skirts and just <laughs> totally enjoyed it. We met um, many, many wonderful people up in Blue River. It was it was a joy, and the drive, of course, from here mm-hmm. to Blue River was just fantastic. And our second mission call was to Oak Ridge. Cool. Oh wow! And in Oak Ridge, um, again, I don't know what Jack was doing. I was on the primary presidency, mm-hmm. and I can remember um, doing the plan outs and making up pamphlets and making up things that the kids could do um, each week and being able to give a plan of how to do it to the other two so that we all worked, you know, together. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had a wonderful time, met some beautiful people up there and enjoyed it thoroughly. And then we were called back in when President uh, Lowell, was it Lowell? Yeah, the accountant. He called us in and he says, Brother and Sister May, we'd love to call you on a stake mission. 
And we looked at him and says, oh, we'd love to do that. We enjoyed our others. And he looked at us and he said, others? <laughs> I said, yeah, we've had two. Oh, I can't call you. You can only have two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. He was, uh, that's good. It, sound, it sounds like your, your, your regular life, how much you like being a, a, an assistant, sounds like you're doing the same with other wards. Yeah. Oh, that sound, sounds perfect. Yeah. And then we were called to work in the temple. Mm-hmm. And for four years, we went every Saturday. Wow. Um, during midday. So we got weddings galore. And that was, oh, that was such a spiritual, wonderful time. Um, and we went and we had an older car. But we paid our tithing, and that car ran like a top. And it was <laughs> when we quit, the car quit. <laughs> Sounds perfect. That's awesome. Oh, I have, I have a full, full testimony of the power of paying tithing. Absolutely. That's good. Awesome. Mm. Uh, that's I'm, all. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm curious what the branches were like back then, because yeah. I'm, I'm thinking numbers wise, it fairly sparse. Numbers they were very, Brewer. especially Oak Ridge. Oak Ridge had very few people. Um, we might have 20, 25 out on a Sunday. There was enough. Um, the branch president actually lived in the branch and was worthy of being a branch president. But they just needed the extra help for Sunday school teachers and, you know, heads to help keep it going. Oak Ridge had a larger group, but not as much priesthood Mm. that was really... Because Oak Ridge now, they've got a decent size. They have a decent size now, yeah. And, uh, of course, we got to know the Fines Mm. when Brother Fine was still alive and their whole family... And uh, Lance and Miriam Giles, whom I just dearly love, they're now in Eugene. Um, And then I met another sister who was from California, and she had married a first husband that she had divorced before. But I just loved her. She was the sweetest woman. We uh, just had close ties with both of the branches. They were wonderful. It was it was a larger group. Usually there'd be maybe 40 or 50 out. Um, and they had a fairly good size primary which was amazing because not normal yeah, there was a lot of you know younger yeah. couples that were up yeah. there. So, speaking from from experience, back home in Louisiana, we had I was in a branch for a while, and there was total that attended consistently. There was about twelve people, and so we had help a lot from from mission missionaries or stake missionaries, and that it is so. I can, I'm, you know, this cause you, 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 you helped, but the branches appreciate that help so much yeah. because we don't want to have to drive. Cause it was a 45 minute drive for us to go, um, to, to the branch. 
Oh yeah. And I was close and you, you know, that's, I mean, that's I why know. they're a branch and they were, they were so scared that they were going to get, you know, shut down to have to, then they were going to have to go drive. And so yeah. the having, being able to, to receive that help to, to continue to meet, you know, relatively close, it's yeah. definitely a blessing. So. And I have to go back to the time when I went to the branch here in Springfield. Um, we had a group of kids that was absolutely fantastic we we didn't date per se but a 10 of us we went everywhere together our folks would take us um we did everything together but through that gordon hall and his parents i don't know you probably don't know who they are but I gordon don't. hall and his parents <laughs> were baptized darren dodson another young man was baptized all because of that group of LDS kids, and we lived the gospel. Mm. And they felt it because they didn't have it in their homes. Mm. And it was, it, it, yeah, there's something about a branch. I agree. Where the commitment to each other mm -hmm. is so strong. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's a very, much more intimate. You get to know each other and help each other a lot. Right. So, all right, that's all my questions. That's a good I'm thought. Gonna... Yeah, we'll move to Alan. I saw you writing down some notes there. Yeah. What, what questions right. do you have for Clea? Well, what I wrote down was, and it's been pretty close to exactly 38 years since I met Clea. Uh, she was the nurse for Dr. Levy when I started going there. This was before I was married and um, got married two years later, and my family was raised in that practice. Um, like she said, she gave all my children their shots. And what I remember and that I wanted that I was that Clea has always had a way of making people feel good about themselves. And, and that is a real special um, trait because I remember one time um, we brought our family in and you told my wife that she, you just loved uh, treating our children and our family because our kids were so much cleaner than <laughs> than some of these <laughs> other children that came in from around you know this area and uh, she my wife always remembers that and always will and it really you know that's a real a really neat thing to have that um, be able to do that for people and. Go, I wasn't go. afraid to say the things yeah. that I thought and meant. <laughs> but um and then and you and you're still that way too. It's like you know and I I've uh, known you now well not only for the 38 years but I was you know you're my you're my best friend at the church and uh and I've been able to come to you and talk to you about a lot of stuff cuz I don't have any family around here and and um rarely talk to my sister but it's been it's it's almost been like you're you've been my sister yeah, well you are my sister you're my, you know no matter how you look at it you are my sister anyway um i thought that the one question and i know that pretty much everything that's been being talked about is is related to a you know testimony but one thing that bishop keister had said that we really wanted to if you could bear your testimony for us that would be awesome I would love to. Yeah. My very first experience of bearing my testimony, I was about 12 years old. And I was sitting in the um, 
above the above the bakery in the little old building on Main Street. And I don't remember the exact circumstances, but I know that it was, I'd heard some beautiful, beautiful testimonies that day. And suddenly I felt this warmth. This urge within my heart to stand up and tell them um, that I knew the church was true. Somehow I look back over my life and I can never say I did not know that the church was true. I have known all my life that my Savior lives. I have known all my life that eternal marriage is so important. I have known all my life that it's easy to fall away, but repentance is absolutely so such a blessing that the Lord gave to us. And now that we have the Come Follow Me program, I have learned more and understand more fully the scriptures and the importance of study and staying close to the Lord, especially in the world we live in today, how we're promised that if we stay within the boundaries of the church, within the stake centers, that the Lord has promised us that we will be cared for. I just know beyond a shadow of a doubt of the truthfulness of the gospel. It is the joy and the light that we find in our life. And no other place can you find it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. That was a wonderful testimony. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I I did want to talk a little bit before we end. I, I, as long as you guys are okay on time, I'd keep going a few more minutes. But um, I, I've always been curious because I, I know just working with Alan and talking with him almost every Sunday in, in bishopric meeting, I, I know you guys have had a special bond. I just I wondered where that came from. Was it as simple as seeing his kids in the doctor's office or I'd unpack that a little bit? I met Alan when he was about 24. So Josh's age-ish. Yeah, he was about 24 I am, I years. I am 28. You're 28. <laughs> I just locked into 24. I'm going to take every inch of those years. Whatever, you're uh, 24. Uh, and, <laughs> and when Alan came in and when I first met him, I identified with him. I felt that he was a strong young man, didn't know his history, knew nothing about him, but I identified with Alan, and he was a person that was easy to talk to. And then as I followed along with him um, over the years, I loved Julie, and I can remember Julie. And I remember Jordan. I remember his son, Jordan. 
as this little tiny boy that came in that was just a sweet little boy, but he was always kind of squinting. And my doctor looked at him and he said, this young man needs glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew that at like three months old or th- somewhere between three and six yeah, months. Yeah, he was, was little. Oh, wow. Pretty neat. And, and so <laughs> the next time they came in, Jordan had a pair of glasses with an elastic band. Those are that awesome. held those yeah. glasses on his face. We still have and them. he could see. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> And just over the years, uh, we lost contact for a while. I changed offices. I had worked with uh, my first doctor for seven years. I worked with Dr. Levy for 22 years. And then the last of the 40 years, I worked with Dr. Patricelli and Dr. Knowlton. And I had been out of church for a while because of the condition of my husband. And he got to the point where his brain wasn't really clicking. And he made a statement to Brother Dixon one day that just, it embarrassed me so badly. But his thinking power was already getting to the point. I said to him, Sweetheart, you need to start going back to priesthood meeting. And we were standing in the hall, and Brother Dixon invited him. He says, come on and go back with me. And my husband turned to him and said, I'm just going to hear things that I already know. I'm not going to learn anything new. (laughs) And turned and walked out. And I was mortified. (laughs) You never stop learning. (laughs) But he didn't realize and we didn't we weren't really active after that um and he went downhill his ability to walk became worse and worse his ability to think um became worse and it got to the point where literally he was awake almost 24 hours the bedroom light could never be shut off. The television could never be shut off. And I would try to grab a couple of hours sleep on the couch. And I'd get called at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Why aren't you ready to go? You've got an appointment. Why aren't you ready to go? You need to be, you know. Um, so it was a real hard decision when I finally... The kid said, that's it, Mom. You cannot do this anymore. And he went to a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And he only lasted 10 more months in the nursing home. But we later found out it was because a lot of it, not only for his diabetes, but he had been on a very foggy morning. He pulled out on Catherine Street, and a gray truck was coming up the road with no headlights on. He didn't see it, and he got hit hard and hit his head severely Mm. and had um, seizures from that point on. And the neurologist said it not only was that, but it had injured um, where the spinal fluid and stuff and literally started killing his brain and putting it down. So 
like I say, we lost touch. When I finally started coming back to church, this gentleman came up and and said, Clea, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to see you. And my brain is going, who is that? No. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? <laughs> Sorry, Alan. <laughs> you weren't funny. that slim young man anymore. Not anymore, was I? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's great. And and we just we clicked again. It's just he's family. He's just he's family. Yeah. If I have something that I need to talk about, I'm not afraid to call Alan. And uh, yeah. It's it's just like having one of my grandkids or one of my sons or daughters here. He's between my middle son and my younger daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway. That's really cool. Thank you so much for unpacking that a little bit. I got to hear the, the Alan story a little. Um, you want to hear my side? Oh, yeah. We usually... Are you on the podcast? Yeah, we have to hear both sides, so... Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah, no, I was honored to be able to come here with Bruce Jones in 2016, uh, early. It was I remember it was real cold out, so it was early into the end. Your husband um, and you still lived here in the old trailer, and uh, we were able to bring you the sacrament. And that was the only time I ever got to meet your husband, Jack. And um, and by that time, I mean, he was... He was already... He was pretty... Anyway, I that was an honor, though. And um, we just only mainly know him from everything that you've talked about from him. And uh, But when I, when I came back um, to church after being gone for so many years, I knew that I needed to have somebody that I could talk to. And I was, you know, constantly praying to be able to find somebody that would go fishing with me or that would, uh, you know, that a guy my age that I could become friends with. And, and that was what I wanted. And, and, you know, nothing was happening. Nothing was in it. I prayed over and over for two or three weeks. And then all of a sudden I was talking to you one day and I realized that you were the answer to that prayer and that you were my friend and you were the person that I could talk to and that we, there was something that needed, you know, and so then I pursued that and, and uh, we've been in touch ever since. And we get to talk about uh, and have learned together through the come follow me program now for um, going on five years. Um, Yeah. It's been a real awesome experience. Yeah. That's my side. I I like that side. Perfect. Yeah, I uh, I was actually going back to our talk about family practice, and Clea, you probably have heard something similar, but I I think we're hardwired or told that we're not supposed to have favorites, or you know, with patients, or if we're in the church, we're not supposed to have our favorites as far as you know people we meet there. But I heard a talk by a doctor that said it's okay to love everybody and have the people that you really specially connect with, you know, for some reason and really enjoy those people. And I think we all have our people. Like for me, when Josh Crook moved into the ward, I was like, you're a nerd. Let's hang out. (laughs) (laughs) We still do. We we watch watch nerdy movies every, like every other Saturday night. (laughs) Yep. 
And you're a bit of a nerd too, Clea, if I remember. You watch sci-fi movies, right? Oh, I am a science fiction girl to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> I have to add one more thing. Yeah. Yes. I started working when I was nine years old. I picked beans in Springfield. I um, moved back to Riverside, California. At 14, I got a work permit, and I cleaned homes. At 16, I had a doctor and his wife hire me to care for their daughters and to keep their home clean all through high school. I worked for the first Del Taco with Mr. Noggle. And it was the very first one that had ever been built. It was before he started Wiener Schnitzel and later incorporated. I worked at Heaps of Pizza at the fantastic pizza parlor just off of BYU campus that's now, I think, called the Brick Oven. Okay. And Mr. Heaps, I worked with him, and I just loved those jobs. I moved. I've worked in. Um, I worked in an A and W, and had a whole bunch of police officers walk in, and they sat down at a table, and one of them popped his finger over, and he says, "What are you doing working in here?" <laughs> he says, "I. You can work up there." And oh, wow. Well, the next day, the pharmacist walked in, and he said, "Come here." And I walked over to him, and he says. I want you to come work for me. And he had a the drugstore in Hesperia, California. And so I gave my resignation and I went in. And he says, now, what do you know about hair products? Or what do you know about medications? Well, that picture right over there, that blonde yeah. I knew all about hair products. <laughs> I knew how to sell hair products. I was going to say, this is a, what, what, we're yeah. looking at a picture of you and your husband, right? Here. Right. How, what, around what year is this? That would be probably about 80s, early 80s. Okay. And your hair is definitely defying gravity here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I literally, uh, when my first son was born, I went in, and I had always had light hair, and I had it blonded at the school in uh, Provo, and I had blonde hair for years. In fact, Bishop Evans, who used to be bishop of our ward, we had gone out to Junction City to my daughter's ward, and he was on the high council, and he saw Dad, and he saw me, and he went to my daughter, and he said, did your mother die? Because I'd let my hair go. The kids had asked me, let's see what your real hair color is. And Ooh. it had gone back brown. So he thought that dad had lost, that I had died and he had married someone else. <laughs> but but he has a type, you know. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> uh, no, we square danced for years. And it, mm. it, it was really wonderful. But as far as jobs, I went through the fast foods. um, I went through, I worked at the pharmacy for a couple of years, and then it was when I came here and was asked by the doctor to come and work for him and spent the next 40 years, which was the highlight of my life. 
think nuggets come alive here. And now. I have to tell you a funny, you're going to get a kick out of this one. I like it. I'd only worked maybe uh, long enough to know what was in the lab. And we had a young uh, woman who was pregnant with her boyfriend. And she was definitely on drugs. She thought she might be in labor. And the doctor says, well, get yourself right over to the hospital. And uh, so they started to leave. She walked into the bathroom first because she had to go to the bathroom. She dropped her baby Ooh. into the toilet. What? Doctor grabbed the baby, and he brought that baby in, and he cleaned it up. And he says, Clea, go get me a bulb. <sighs> okay, I had worked in the office not quite a month. Go get me a bulb. I ran to my Aunt B and I said, Doctor wants a bulb. Where do I find a bulb? And she got me a light bulb. And I took the light bulb back to the doctor. He yeah. wanted a squeegee bulb to clean out the nostrils. Right. I had no idea. I've never heard it called that <laughs> before. Yeah. But Dr. Baldwin, he just broke down. He laughed so hard. I thought he was going to bust. Oh, that's <laughs> uh, and you do see a lot of that yeah i mean that is the hard part of medical profession yeah it really is and uh, we had seen you know y yeah you see a lot of things the nice thing was that i had phlebotomy for blood draw i had x-ray classes and did x-rays for years i had the training of assisting in minor surgeries and um, some pretty good, you know, surgeries you can do in the office. And um, I learned on the machinery for colonoscopies and all of that, oh. and then went around and trained others how to do it in the other offices. It was it was truly a blessing, but. I have to put it all back on my training in the church to be mm -hmm. able to do that completely. Jo Josh, did you have anything else you wanted to ask Leah? No, I I got to, I've I've only, I met yeah. met you one time before this helping clean out your backyard, and I've always wanted to meet, and I got to learn a lot. And I'm That's thank you for your experiences. Well, thank you. And what about you, Alan? No, I don't believe that i have anything else to ask i think nugget has something to say yeah. nuggets nuggets been a another star on the show today i feel like we're definitely gonna get some good nugget audio um clea and and obviously we've already talked about your testimony as we go on here but we we do end the show with the same question every time and it's how has being a member of the church of jesus christ latter-day saints help you to better connect with the savior jesus christ I find myself on my knees more. I find myself wanting to know more. I find that I can hardly listen to what he had to go through without wanting to cry. It has brought me so close to my Savior so close to the covenants that I made in the temple, so close to 
what I want my children and grandchildren. And of course, in this world today, we see many of them that are not following that path. So my prayer every night is that my family will soften their hearts and turn to the Savior and walk in his footsteps. Uh, amen to that, for sure. Well, thank you, Clea. I appreciate you being on the show today. Did you have a good time? I did. I did. I was scared to death. <laughs> you did great. Uh, you did You did great. Did you have a good time, Alan? Yes, I enjoyed first this time very on. much. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we 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 got to enjoy with uh, doing an episode on site on location today. We got to hang out with a dog, which is great. <laughs> um, to those who are still listening, um, just letting you guys know, we know we have a lot of listeners from other wards. We have a few episodes lined up with some members of First Ward in the coming weeks, starting with Mike Reprogal. So looking forward to that. And uh, just a reminder, we keep this thing going because of all you guys' great support. So if if you can like the podcast or even better, if you can share it with somebody you love, that would be great. Same invitation to you, Clea or, or Alan. Share it with people you love. Uh, that really helps us keep doing what we're doing because we, we feel like we're making a positive influence and, and helping to better understand people that are around us every day. Um, I love it. So thank you for taking the time to do this, everybody. And we're out. This episode of the Connection Podcast. We're on most podcast carriers. So please like and subscribe. The show's art is done by Joel Boreen. And the music is provided by Drew Boreen. We look forward to connecting to you next time. Until then, take care. <laughs>